There are few things in life that are much worse than putting forth a great deal of effort and then see that your effort was all in vain, that it was for naught. Some people put forth a lot of effort this week in trying to battle against the currents of this recent storm, only to have their efforts be in vain. The flood waters won out. I know that uh, in our house, we were working feverishly on Wednesday night to keep our furnace from being inundated. And uh, we were up all night, but thankfully our labor was not in vain and our furnace was spared. But I'm sure there are a lot of people that were a lot worse off than we are. But it was nice to be able to go to bed uh, the next day and say, we won. Uh, It was a success. And our furnace was not ruined. Sometimes, though, life finds its failures and we think that things are in vain. Paul was concerned that as he wrote to the Thessalonians, initially he was concerned that his labor may have been in vain. 1 Thessalonians 3.5 For this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. That all that we went through, all that we experienced, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the persecutions, all the difficulties, would have been for naught and your faith would be overthrown. But Paul's labor was not in vain. Their faith was not overthrown. They were standing firm in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Paul writes adamantly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not meaningless. It was not useless. You know how profitable it was. You know how God delivered you. You know how God saved you. You know how you responded to the gospel. Why wasn't Paul's ministering the gospel to the Thessalonians in vain? What was it about his ministry of the gospel that brought the success that uh, he rejoiced in? Well, we can look at two basic reasons. The first has to do with God's sovereignty and the working of the Holy Spirit. And we already looked at those passages in 1 Thessalonians that talk about the work of the Spirit, how it accompanied the preaching of the gospel with great power, and people believed. Without the work of the Spirit, Paul's work would have been in vain. But there's also a human responsibility in declaring the gospel. And today we focus on what Paul's role was. And uh, we find out that Paul's ministry was not in vain, because of the way in which he ministered the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to look at three things from our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that depicts the ministry of Paul and why his labor was not in vain. First, Paul's labor was not in vain because Paul had freely preached the gospel to the Thessalonians. Because Paul had freely preached the gospel to the, to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, now these words, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. 
We have the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. NIV translates it, We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. The word boldly, as it's given to us in the NAS and the King James, literally means free. Free. Meaning that he was not restrained. Uh, He exercised great freedom. He spoke openly, clearly, thoroughly, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not back off one iota. Paul did not restrict his preaching of the gospel in any way. This, despite the fact that he had already suffered greatly for preaching the gospel in Philippi, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, Paul had already paid a great price for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to his experience in verse 2 as having suffered and being mistreated in Philippi. The suffering and mistreatment at Philippi is described in the book of Acts. You may want to turn there, you may just want to listen. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 19, we have uh, an account of what took place while Paul was preaching at Philippi. And as Paul was preaching, Paul and Silas were dragged into the public marketplace before the authorities. Acts 16, 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. Charges were brought against Paul and Silas for teaching contrary to the Jewish faith. Acts 16.20 And charges were also brought against Paul and Silas for teaching things that were contrary to the Roman customs. They were accused of treason, of exerting Christ as an authority and thus subverting the authority of Rome. Acts 16.21 And our proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And so then, Paul and Silas were treated shamefully. Acts 16.22 The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. They were stripped naked. They were put forth to public ridicule. And they had to suffer painfully by having much hardship inflicted upon them. Acts 16.23 And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. So they were beaten rather mercilessly. Shamed. Beaten mercilessly. And then further mistreated. And there the idea is that their... um, Rights were violated. They were treated in an inappropriate manner. Not only had they suffered innocently, but they also had suffered illegally. Not only were they not guilty of the crimes, but the punishment that they endured was not in keeping with Roman law. The magistrates had violated the law 
in punishing Paul and Silas the way they had. And if you know the story of, of, of the book of Acts, Paul and Silas are put in prison in Philippi. And in the middle of the night, there's a great earthquake. And the chains fell off. And uh, the Philippian jailer comes in and uh, ministers to Paul and uh, Silas. Says, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas lead the Philippian jailer and his household to place faith in Jesus Christ. And then the next morning, we read, Now, when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now therefore come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. You see, without a trial, they couldn't be beaten. Without a trial, they uh, were not allowed to be treated in the way in which they were. But nonetheless, they were mistreated, and they were asked to leave by the authorities. And indeed, Paul and Silas left Philippi. And the next place they went to is Thessalonica, Acts 17.1. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Which brings us to 1 Thessalonians 2.2. But after we'd already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. As you know, could go with either that which precedes or that which follows. Meaning that they knew of the mistreatment or they knew of the boldness in our gospel to speak for God. I think it's the latter probably. But we had the boldness of God to speak to you the gospel of God. Not only did the Apostle Paul and Silas continue to preach the gospel, even though they had already been beaten and mistreated for the gospel's sake, but they continued to preach the gospel boldly or freely, even when they encountered a lot of difficulty at Thessalonica. For notice at the end of verse 2, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. That opposition is described in Acts 17. I won't go into it in any detail. But the point was that they had encountered a lot of difficulty in Thessalonica just as they had encountered in Philippi. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Paul did not curtail his presentation of the gospel one iota. Paul did not alter his message when he met with opposition. The reason his preaching was not in vain was because he didn't change the message. He didn't change the message. He did not leave out references to Jesus as the Christ, though that would be offensive to the Jews. He did not soft-pedal the fact that Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, although that would be words of treachery for Roman citizens. He did not change the gospel even though he was persecuted for 
the gospel. Application. There is much in our culture that runs contrary to the gospel. Much in our culture that runs contrary to the gospel. We live in a culture that, that espouses tolerance. We live in a culture that has as one of its primary ideals is uh, pluralism. And it strikes people as incredibly narrow-minded and downright offensive to say that the only way to have a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. You mean to say that Christianity is the only right religion? You mean to say that millions of people who are Hindus or, or Buddhists or, or Muslims, that they're not acceptable by God? Are you really going to say that? That's offensive in our society. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me, that bothers a lot of people. All you have to do is listen to talk shows, interviewers who begin to interview preachers or Christians and, and try to put them on the spot by saying, you mean to say that the only people that have a right relationship with God are people that believe like you do? People that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that, that's the gospel. That's the truth. And we can't change it. We can't alter it. Even though we know that it's going to be offensive to some. Even though we know that it's going to be rejected by many. Paul did not succumb to the temptation to change the gospel message. The reality is that fallen mankind, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, rejects the truth of God. And if you're going to speak the truth of God, it's going to be rejected and you're going to be rejected. But Paul remained faithful to the gospel and so must we. Be of good courage. Things are not worse now than they ever were before. I think sometimes we tend to think that we live in a particularly wicked or debauched generation in which Christianity is not tolerated as it was in other times. Well, I would say to you that there are a lot of times historically that were much worse off than the time in which we are in. We're not being placed in prison because of, of uh, preaching the gospel. We're not being beaten because of preaching the gospel. There are places around this world where people are being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Where people are being uh, beaten for preaching the gospel. We should be encouraged as we realize that if we're going to be faithful to God's word, it's going to bring opposition on some fronts. We must always stand against the tendency to seek to accommodate our culture in preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must constantly, constantly resist the temptation to accommodate our culture and its beliefs for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And book after book comes out, such as we've been talking about in our study of the book of Jude, saying, well, everybody's going to heaven. There is no such thing as a hell. That's what people want to hear. But that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. And Paul remained faithful to the truth. That's why his preaching wasn't in vain. That's why it bore the fruit that it did. We must ask ourselves, maybe the tendency is not to alter the gospel, but maybe it's simply not to offer 
the gospel. Paul said he spoke freely. He spoke boldly. How many times do we find ourselves in situations in which we have an opportunity to speak for God, but we don't take advantage of it? We're simply quiet because we're afraid of how it's going to be received. Because we're afraid of how it might reflect upon us. And we are quiet. We are quiet. Paul wasn't quiet about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of the fact that he'd suffered in in Philippi. And in spite of the fact that now he was suffering in Thessalonica as well. He continued on. He persevered. So uh, his labor was not in vain because he freely preached the gospel. Secondly, Paul's labor was not in vain because Paul realized that it was God himself who entrusted the gospel to Paul. God had given to Paul the work of preaching the gospel, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. God thought it appropriate to entrust Paul with the gospel. That was handed over to Paul. It was placed under his charge to preach the gospel. Paul viewed that both as an honor and as a responsibility. A privilege and a duty. And in one sense, Paul says that he had no choice in the matter. He felt compelled to preach the gospel. He had to. 1 Corinthians 9.16 For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Man, I'm in trouble if I don't preach the gospel, Paul says. Because God has entrusted this to me. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul says, even when I don't feel like it, I've got a stewardship, I have a responsibility entrusted to me, the gospel. And he says, Man, I'm in trouble if I don't share this gospel because this is what God has given me to do. And so, Paul's message is consistent with what God entrusted to his care. It was not just the responsibility of preaching to which Paul was faithful. It was the message also to which he was faithful. Notice verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, now these words, so we speak. So we speak. He speaks consistently with what's been entrusted to his care. He has a message that has been given to him by God, the gospel. And because God has given him this message, the gospel, he says that's what we speak. We speak the gospel. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through the wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He realized that it was going to be God 
and God's Spirit that was going to be the difference in a person's placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ or not. And he knew that to the Jews, they wanted signs. They wanted to see miracles. They wanted proof. As there are many in our society and culture that want proof. They want you to prove that the Bible is true. They want you to prove that God exists. They want proof for their faith. And, as in his day, there are those that sought after wisdom. And there are many in our day that prize wisdom, intelligence, intellect, and view the scripture and those that adhere to it as being foolish. Nothing was changed. Nothing was changed. But Paul says, in spite of the fact that people view it as foolish, in spite of the fact that people want proof, I preach Jesus Christ. He said, to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called by God, to those in whom God works, it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. And so Paul was willing to leave that in God's hands. Here was that which has been trusted. And he didn't alter it to make it more palatable or more acceptable or more desirable on the lives of others. How amazing that God would entrust the gospel to human beings. That in the wisdom of God, God decided that the way in which he was going to reach a fallen mankind is through other human beings. If God wanted to, he could write the gospel in the sky. You know, just like those airplanes that uh, fly over and they have their message. Uh, God could, he could have it appear in the heavens. He could write it with his own finger and John 3.16 could be seen in the sky. But God didn't chose to do that. What's more remarkable is that God easily could have decided that the way in which the gospel ought to be disseminated is through the angelic world. And there are many times in the scriptures where the angels are sent with a message from God. A message of salvation. We think of the Christmas story. And uh, we think of the shepherds abiding in their fields, keeping watch of the flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to you unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He could have sent an angelic host to proclaim his gospel. Angels could knock at our door. He could have done that. He chose not to. He chose not to. He chose to entrust the responsibility of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with human beings. That's pretty incredible. What a great responsibility. The message of salvation entrusted to human beings. And then remember reading that down, down, down one step further. Not just entrusted to human beings, 
entrusted to us. To us. Even as Paul writes to Timothy and says that we are to commit to faithful teachers who will be able to teach others also. We have a responsibility with the gospel to our family, to our Sunday school students, to our neighbors, and to the world. Paul recognized his responsibility. It was entrusted to his care. And then thirdly, and perhaps most significantly, Paul's labor was not in vain because Paul was preaching a gospel not to be acceptable to his hearers, but a gospel that would be acceptable to God. Verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And now these words. Not pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Paul was much more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing mankind. Paul was much more concerned about what, Paul, what God would think about his message than what people would think about his message. Paul's message came from God. Paul's message was entrusted to him by God. And God was going to examine Paul for the way in which he preached that message. Galatians 1.9 As we said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please God? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be found a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't care that it's going to create problems. I don't care that I'm going to offend people. I don't care that it's going to be an issue when I say, if anybody is preaching a gospel other than what I preach, they're damned. They're cursed. They're going to hell, is what he says. Every other gospel is a false gospel. And he's willing to stand up and say that. Why? He says, because I'm not seeking the favor of men, but God. Which is very much in keeping with exactly what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2. Not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. Because Paul valued what God thought of him more than what any human being thought of him. God examines our hearts. He understands our motives. He understands what is taking place. What a challenge to live up to. Because God valued what, because Paul valued what God thought of him more than what any human being thought of him. How true is that of us this morning? Do we really care what God thinks of us more than what our friends think of us? Our relatives think of us? Our co-workers think of us? Are we really willing to stand up for Jesus Christ more concerned about his evaluation of us than human beings' evaluation of us? Now, we have to be careful and keep this in perspective. Paul was not interested in gaining man's approval and praise. Look at verses 5 and 6. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. 
Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. He says, we didn't flatter, we didn't butter up, we didn't try to seek glory from you. We didn't try to get your praise. Your praise. How dependent are we on the praise of others to be faithful in our Christian commitment? What happens when nobody pats us on the back? What happens when no one says thank you? What happens when no one expresses appreciation for the work that we have done? You know, that's actually on the far right. Paul's not just dealing with a lack of praise or a lack of gratitude or a lack of thankfulness. He's dealing with persecution, oppression. Not only is he not being thanked, but he's being thrown in jail. Not only is he not being appreciated, he's being beaten. And so we have to ask ourselves, not only how do we respond to a lack of people's appreciation, how do we respond when people are actually against us, find fault with us, call us names, view us as narrow-minded, view us as intolerant, view us as ignorant, stupid. How could you ever hold to such positions as that? Paul was not concerned about the praise of men. He was concerned about the praise of God. He wanted to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are we a slave to what people think? Are we a slave to Wanting to be appreciated. Wanting to be valued. If so, it's going to be a hindrance to our preaching and teaching the truth of God's word. Paul was willing to risk his life so that the Thessalonians would hear the gospel. Verse 8, having thus a fond affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives. Also our own lives. He was willing to die. And that's not hyperbole. Uh, Paul put his life on the line many, many times in order to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And eventually, he would die for sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's boldness. That's boldness. But when he says that he didn't care about what they think, that in no means means that he was indifferent towards them or that he belittled them. Notice 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. For we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, having thus a fond affection for you. Uh, he appreciated them. He loved them. At the end of verse 8, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our lives, because you had become very dear to us. He, he loved them. He cared for them. But he didn't allow that love and care to affect his faithfulness to, to God. He remained true to God. But in his being true to God, it did not mean that he did not love and care for those who hurt him. So when I'm saying to you that 
we should not be concerned about what people think. I'm not saying that we should snub our nose at people. Or that people aren't important. What I'm saying to you is that we need to value the praise of God more than the praise of human beings. Paul's commitment to the Thessalonians was quite evident. Verses 9 through 11. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. But that commandment, commitment to the Thessalonians flowed out of Paul's commitment to God. Verse 12. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So now we're back to God. He did all this so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls them into his own kingdom. In other words, he does this so that they will be saved. And in their salvation will bring honor and glory to God. Application. It is out of our love for God that we are to preach the gospel. And our love for humanity is secondary. And if it's out of a love for God, then we're going to be faithful to the word of God. Because we want to honor and glorify and praise him. It is a safeguard for us. And we really won't love our fellow mankind without loving God first. We love because he first loved us. In 1 John 4.19, you probably know the verse. The King James says we love him because he first loved us. But the word him really ought to be in italics. It's supplied. It's thought that it needs to be there to make sense. But in actuality, it limits the thought. The literal translation would be the best translation. We love because he first loved us. Not only do we love God because he first loved us, we love our fellow man because he first loved us. The commandments are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor without loving God. And people out of a misplaced exaltation of their fellow mankind and out of a so-called love for them, seek to alter the gospel. And in reality, it's disingenuous. Genuine concern for others begins with a genuine concern for God. This too guards Paul's faithfulness to the gospel. For if Paul alters the message of the gospel, he is not doing God or his hearers any favor. You understand that. First Thessalonians 2.12 So that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. You see, not only if you alter the gospel are you dishonoring God but you're robbing mankind of the truth of how to be saved. You are actually preventing someone from believing the truth if you don't speak to them the truth. 
And there was nothing loving about that. If Paul changes the gospel in order to make it more palatable to his audience, then he is robbing them of the truth that will save them. Paul's concern would be a sham if he altered the gospel. It would be a pretense. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. We haven't taught error. We haven't taught deception. We have taught truth. And if we hadn't, it would all be in vain. If we hadn't, all our effort would have counted for nothing because they would have been lost. They would have been relying on a false gospel as opposed to a true gospel. It might be palatable, but it would not be salvific. Application. We need to realize that the gospel simply cannot be altered. For if we do, it's no longer the truth. It's no longer the truth. And if we are going to be people of the truth, then we must preach the gospel as it really is. We must be more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing others. And I submit to you that the temptation is great for us to please others rather than please God. I didn't take the time to look through the many passages in the New Testament where the Pharisees, where Jesus condemns them because they love the praise of men rather than the praise of God. We live in a society that loves the praise of men. Loves applause. Loves being honored. Loves getting medals. Getting awards. Getting achievements. People patting us on the back. That's what drives athletes to be the very best. To stand on that platform. And to be recognized by everyone as the world champion. The world's best. The rock stars. People want to be Raised. Well, we need to guard against that. And then conversely, I think we really need to understand that. And with that understanding, let us be careful to give thanks and praise to those who are standing firm for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you this week. If there has been somebody who was really influential in leading you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, write him a letter this week. I realize that there's email. I realize there's all this other stuff. But to me, there's something really personal about a letter. Or a phone call. Contact them in some way. And just say, you know, I'm really thankful that you shared the gospel with me. I'm thankful that you didn't let your fears or your inhibitions or your concern about how I might respond to that to keep you from sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk up to your Sunday school teacher and say, you know, I am thankful for you that uh, you really want to share with us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that coworker that drives you nuts? And yet, 
he or she really has a faithful testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk up to them and say to them, you know, brother, you know, sister, I just appreciate your boldness. Thank you that you're willing to identify with Jesus Christ at the workplace. Thankful, I'm thankful that, that people know that you're a Christian and you're not ashamed of the gospel. Next time you walk into that Christian business that is openly declaring their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, say to that Christian businessman, well, I, I thank you for your witness. I thank you for your testimony in our community. I thank you for that work. The volunteers, the people, as you look around our congregation, just think of the people. Children. Express your appreciation to your mom and dad for sharing with you the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It amazes me. 2,000 years 2,000 years. You know, uh, you, you familiar with that game, Whisper Down the Alley? How many, how, do I need to go and explain that? If you know that game, raise your hand. Whisper Down the Alley, you tell a story and pass it on for 20 people and hear what it sounds like at the end. You know that message? Well, we've been playing Whisper Down the Alley for 2,000 years with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because people have taken seriously being entrusted with that gospel. We have the gospel today in its pure form. We have the truth of the gospel. We have the saving proclamation of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you heard that gospel. It's been preserved. And I thank God for the moms and dads who are preserving the gospel with yet another generation telling them the truth of God's word. And brothers and sisters, your labor is not in vain in the Lord when you stand true to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the faithfulness of his people that brings about the salvation of mankind. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. We thank you for the gospel that's been entrusted to our care. Help us to be faithful to that gospel. Help us not to alter it or change it. Lord, may we not be so enamored by the praise of men that we are unwilling to challenge our fellow man with the truth of your word. May we not be so concerned to be viewed as an intellectual that we're not willing to come across sometimes as foolish in the things that we say. May we not be so concerned about appearing to be loving and kind that we are unloving or unkind by not sharing the truth of the gospel by which people are saved. Lord, uh, guard our hearts and help us to be faithful to you and that great gospel that's been entrusted to our care. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.